This is 413 Ethnography. I'm Imrita Acharya. My guest today is very special. In fact, she is so special to me that in the process of getting to know her, I completely forgot I was doing a piece about her. My interviews just meshed into friendship and over, over almost two years, I've forgotten my original interest was driven by the show. Her name is Alice Kane. Her garden is very well known in the Round Hill community of Northampton, and she's a household name to those all around because of her prolific careers as a house painter as well as a teacher of embroidery at Smith Vocational. Whenever I mention her, someone will say, oh yes, she was a teacher back in the day, or yes, she ran the painting crew that did my house many years ago. I first encountered Alice when I was hired as a gardener by one of her neighbors. I was told to go to her house and get some pachysandra to transplant into the garden I was working in. When I arrived at Alice's home, the garden was so lush with greenery, rows and rows of daylilies, irises, trellises made of wooden ladders with vines growing all along. Most spectacular of all, an over 150-year-old sugar maple tree towering over her Queen Anne-style Victorian home. And at the bottom, a perfect ring of pachysandra circumscribing the tree. I was so enchanted. Alice came out from her porch carrying a spade for me. She wore her overalls with choco sandals, her hair fastened half up, half down with a clip. A petite woman, just five feet tall or so. And she instructed me to carve out the pachysandra on the edges so that I would maintain the shape of the ring. She was extremely calm, yet she knew exactly what she wanted. In this moment, I thought to myself, this is not someone I want to disappoint. I already felt such immense respect for her, even though I had just met her. As I left, she handed me a brown paper bag and said, just some mischief I have growing in my garden. When I opened it, I found beautiful cherry tomatoes. I sought her out after this encounter, and we organized a time to meet in her kitchen. I arrived on my bike on a cloudy September day in 2019 and went up to her porch. I knocked a few times, no answer. I called the landline, I heard it go to machine, so no answer. I started to think something was wrong, but after 30 minutes, she came to the door, looked up at me and said, I'm so sorry I was cleaning the radiators upstairs. I was so impressed by her level of order. I have such respect for the precision and integrity she has for her work and her lifestyle. She invited me into her dimly lit kitchen and sat at her round table. She has her designated seat and next to it a tall lamp to illuminate just her. On the table, her knitting needles and a hat in progress sat. Every time since this day, this arrangement has been almost always the same. Except as our conversations have grown in depth over time. She has started bringing little slips of paper with notes on topics she wants to talk to about, talk to with me about. Recently, I started helping her with work in her garden, 
and after we're finished, she sits me down on her porch with a glass of cold water, a bowl of fruit from the co-op, and an article or book about gardening and its impact on climate change. My respect for Alice has grown immensely over the past two years. I'm always inspired by her hard work and passion for protecting the climate. Even at 85, she works tirelessly in her garden almost entirely on her own each day. The garden in so many ways reflects her personality and her life experiences. It often blurs the boundaries between nature and industry. Remnants of her previous careers as a house painter and a teacher are very clear in the space. Every time I walk through it, I feel a spiritual connection to the people and places of Alice's past and present. I have learned from her that gardens are so much more than decorative elements. They embody their creator and tell stories about different points in time. I've grown from this knowledge, and Alice has become both my mentor and one of my best friends. But she has also taught me that none of this just happens overnight. You have to work hard. Alice has asserted that hard work in anything you do can go a long way. If you're doing your job and not cutting corners, she says, there is plenty to be done. I think I'd like to start with talking about your home and your garden. Um, I want to ask you, I guess I'm curious first if you could just go into detail about the first time you walked into your home, how you decided uh, to pick the home and describe to me um, the beginnings of your garden and how it how it has grown. Well, it, it uh, I had looked at several houses and um, when I walked into this one, even before I looked at the floor plan or anything, um, there was um, a, a feeling that this was the house, and I mm. had I had no no idea why. I had looked at six others, and um, it was not cosmetically in uh, you know uh, in good shape. It had been on the market for three years, and so the Six layers of wallpaper, the faded linoleum, um, et cetera, et cetera. But something inside of me told me that it was structurally good, and it was. I found out later that it was built in 1887 by someone mm-hmm. um, called uh, Pomeroy's, and they had a lumber mill, and so the wood underneath the wall-to-wall carpeting was unbelievable when I. You know, several years later, when I lifted up a corner and I thought, "Oh my gosh, um, the stairway, for example, is chestnut wood." Wow. So, yeah, and um, which I I just found out about ten years ago from American. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. So it was rare, but when I came to the house there wasn't any garden at all and uh, I didn't even think about a garden because I was um, in the process of going through a divorce and finishing up my um, my 
bachelor's degree at U of Mass, and so things were pretty tumultuous. But mm-hmm. after I was here, uh, oh, two, three years, there, when I bought the house, there was one sugar maple tree, which was very large and had been here a long time, but there were mm-hmm. three dead trees in in the rest of the yard, and one of them was directly out the kitchen window, and um, there were some tree people doing some work across the street, and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could ask them if they'd take down this. It wasn't a big tree, but it was definitely, um, you know, something that the average person just couldn't saw down and get rid of. And um, they said, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll come over, we'll take it down. And I said, well, mm-hmm. how much will you charge? And um, they kind of looked at it and they said, $75 and a case of beer. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, all right. So I went down, mm-hmm. got a case of beer, and brought it back, and they took the tree down. A friend um, gave me some um, hosta that they were dividing, and I planted some tulip bulbs, and, you know, it was very small, but um, that was the beginning. I started in uh, 1973 or five, and then gradually I kept, increasing the, um, you know, I thought, well, I can have a garden here and I'd start that. And then, um, and people, what's nice about or fun about gardeners is that as the plants multiply, we do have to divide them and then we share them with people. And that's what they were doing with me when I was starting. Oh, my gosh, and that's how I met you. Because oh. you were sharing your pachysandra with Sally. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that pachysandra was given to me initially by the mm-hmm. person who lives diagonally across the street from me. Wow. That's how you make new friends, sharing plants. That's right. That's Incredible. Right. <laughs> it's also, you know, a way of um, combating climate change and um you know, there's other good things involved in the sense that uh, it's a learning process. It's physically uh, really good for you. And um, the problem-solving aspect of it, I really like. Um, mm-hmm. I I haven't – someone said, oh, you're a master gardener. No, I'm not. I'm, I have just so much to learn still. What is it like to be sort of garden famous in, in Northampton? <laughs> Because you are, I will say that you definitely are. Oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm humbled by that statement. <laughs> but um, I, I have, well, I, I don't know how many people I know that that an awful lot of people know my name, but because there've been so many that unfortunately, as I have matured. Um, I'm now going to be uh, 80. I'm 84 now. It's hard for mm-hmm. me to remember everybody's names, but I do remember their voices and, um, you know, the um, sometimes just, you know, the the general appearance of them. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's it's been fun, and uh, and I try to plant, uh, put plants in that are. 
um, edible, um, such mm-hmm. as daisies and roses and nasturtiums and and um, and the the children in the area they they know um, um, you know they'll they'll walk by around when they're coming home from school and they know it's perfectly all right to take a daylily blossom and eat it. Mm-hmm. I've been spending most of my time in Alice's garden this summer. We've been having weekly gardening sessions in the mornings. Lately, we've been putting down moodoo into her daylily beds, which is a mixture of cow manure and compost. This application of the moodoo really helps with the flowering of the daylilies, which is happening right now in June and July. After we're done with our session, we're both really tired and we oftentimes sit on the porch In this particular session that I've recorded, we walk through some of her garden and look around to see what's blooming. Every week I come, there's something totally new. It's a spectacle each time, and it's very special to see how the space changes and grows and dies back over time. So I I did the first two rows as rows. Okay, nice. And I went to the end of the shade cover. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to go all the way around the tree, and so I spiraled like this to oh. here, so that it ends here in this row. Because I went from here angled to the post of the, the tree, um, the street sign. Okay. So it's it's an angle there. You can kind of see the... The, the mudu. So there. Yeah. Okay, so then it's really just this, right. which would take, I mean, this plus the edge would take another day for me. Well, and I have a little bit on the other end, and I have this side, which isn't that much because of the uh, Siberian iris, and I'm not uh, fertilizing the vines. Okay. Because they have enough energy, obviously. <laughs> oh, this is, you know... Yes, this is a stewardia, and this was planted as a remembrance to my uncle, Uncle Byron. I planted this so that whenever I look at it, I think of Uncle Byron. In what way? Well, he was very, he and his wife were very thoughtful, and um, the, uh, this other tree in the back, is a sour wood, and I planted that as a token to remind me of my aunt mm-hmm. who passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, because sometimes she would be a little bit sour, <laughs> <laughs> but she was a wonderful person. Like some of these plants, I don't remember planting, but I know Box that. I'm, yeah, I must have planted that because it's, uh, you know, not sort of the typical color. Let's see if the peas are potting. I put this screen up here because I planted bean seeds. Mm. And when the bean seeds first sprout, um, the birds, like the catbirds, would just come and pull them out and say, yummy, yummy. (laughs) And so that's why I put the screens there. That's smart. Where did you get this little 
this wire business is um, <laughs> an old spring from a mattress. Really? Yes. The mattress was uh, no longer uh, a good thing to sleep on. And um, so I convinced my help at the time. I said, let's take this apart and see what, what kind of spring is behind it. Mm -hmm. And so when the spring was laying on the ground, I said, how would it look if we roll this up? And they kind of looked at me and, and they said, well, let's go ahead. So they rolled it up and so I put it there and, and then someone else saw it and they said, oh, you need something up here in the top to follow through. And I thought, okay. And talk to me a bit about how you feel that your relationship with so all of the plants that you've grown and cared for over time, how did that start? And is that something that you've always kind of kind of had a kindness towards uh, the, the earth? I believe I have, um, because I being raised as a child from most of my time in northern Wisconsin, I found that going outside um, as a, when I was growing up, it, it was something I wanted to do. And just seeing mm. the, the, the birds and the bugs crawling around and the plants, um, you know, growing, um, how they would change from day to day, uh, that was exciting for me, mm -hmm. and I didn't I didn't have any playmates in my early childhood, so basically my playmates were plants. If there's a memory that you hold closest to you from that time in your life. I would go with my great aunt out into the woods, and she would point to a clump of mushrooms and said, "All right, those we can pick." So I would go over there and I would pick those mushrooms. And then I would also pick uh, raspberries, go with her, and, and go pick blackberries. One of the things I learned, or at least I was told, because this was during, just after the Second World War, um, my great-aunt said that uh, when she canned the m mushrooms, uh, she put onions in with them. And if the onions turned black, then she knew that we couldn't eat them. Can you so think of a... A memory of of being with an animal that perhaps maybe solidified this this love that you have for them. We had a Springer Spaniel named Max, and mm. he was not raised with with children basically. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, here is this eight year old that comes in, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, and one day it was a couple of years later, um, I sat I sat down beside him and he you know we had we had a report by then and I thought oh I turned to, to Max and I said Max and I put my hands on his either side of his jaw and I said sing and I opened my mouth and I howled and he looked at me <laughs> and he opened his mouth and he howled Oh my gosh! And <laughs> and I was so happy, and you know, and he he had you know his eyes were sparkling, and then later on, my great uncle came down, and uh, 
I said, do you want to hear Matt sing? And he kind of looked at me. And so we we did the performance for my great uncle. And I thought he was going to fall over. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> there was Matt oh singing. Oh, oh. <laughs> How did you first get into house painting? Well, one of the 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 initial reason for for it it gave me a, a job and I was physically able to do it and the, the more I got involved with it the more I realized that it was not just physical it was also thinking about um a broader spectrum of um the psychology of color um and the environment in the sense how it affected the color, the sunlight and uh, the shade and not only the wearability of it but the psychology of it and just the visual um, artistic part of it as well. When I would go to a client's house, um, I would ask them what their favorite color was, you know, for one thing. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask what uh, it, you know, what the room was used for and mm -hmm. what direction the light came in. Was it the north or the south? Mm -hmm. um, especially in this area because we have so many dark days, especially January, February, and March. And... Right. Um, so that would help me, uh, you know, guide the, the, you know, if they said, well, I, I really want dark purple in this room and it faces the north side and hardly had any windows, I would very gently, um, you know, persuade them to go with um, a pastel color because of the... Um, lack of light and the um you know January February March being so dull and dreary that psychologically it would have been depressing to have mm. your bedroom being dark purple mm -hmm. on the north side you know and um uh it it also too the where the light shines uh, in through the window, for example, I had two um, clients, and uh, one of them was, uh, um, they were having their babies, their to-be baby born room to be painted. And um, the father wanted it to be a dark peach, and the mother wanted it to be a light peach. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at the room and the light, I thought, hmm. And so they were arguing back and forth. And I said, I thought, here I'm standing there waiting, and I've got, you know, I've got to paint this room. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have an idea. See if you like it. Looked at me. I said, oh, <laughs> why, why don't I paint um, one wall dark uh, peach, one wall light peach, and then put the two colors together on another wall. And I said, that wall over there is all windows. So 
you know, you each would have your choice of color. Mm. And they kind of looked at each other. And they said, oh, okay, go for it. <laughs> and I'm curious for for your own house, I'm sure you were making similar choices, but because you have an attachment to the space as one that you live in, did you find that there were other factors that contributed to how you picked colors for the certain rooms in your home? Well, I I basically have the same color throughout all the rooms, but there is a variation in the depth of color. And I chose uh, something that would allow my embroidery and artwork to stand out because if you have a dark wall, um, you know, that sort of um, hides or distracts from anything that you put on that wall. And I also wanted to take advantage of the feeling to be open and airy by mm-hmm. having pastel color. And, and, in, mm-hmm. and in the kitchen, I learned, um, I painted, I, I wanted, because it's a very small room and doesn't have a lot of light, um, I thought, oh, I'll paint the walls white because there's not many walls. It's mostly mm-hmm. cupboards. And yeah. after I did did that and with the white cupboards, it felt like I was in the hospital. And I thought, no, mm-hmm. this isn't good. So I took <laughs> a, a sponge roller that, um, and I I took the color that I normally use throughout the rest of the rooms. And I rolled um, the color on top of the white, so it, there's little speckles of mm-hmm. of the color that gives the feeling that there's something different on the walls than the than the cabinets, but not radically mm-hmm. different. I feel like you're one of the more spiritual people that I know, just in the way that you describe certain inklings that you've had, or or senses that you've gotten from either meeting people or occupying a certain space do you feel that you agree with that perception that i have of you i do i i really do i i listen to my inner uh instincts and um uh i have ever since childhood and it's it's mm. helped me survive um mm. and it's uh I'm I'm very grateful that I have them. Um, it's, uh, for example, when I was lost, I think I was about nine years old, and I was lost in the woods, and um, all of a sudden it came to me that moss grows on the north side of the tree. So if I mm. look at the trees and see where the moss is and go a straight line, at least I will come out at a straight point, you know, at the end of the woods, not just going around in circles, which I knew sometimes happens when people do get lost. And sure enough, I came out. I was two blocks away from home, but at least I knew where I was in the field. Mm. Where do you think that 
your ability to do that comes from? Is that something you think you were raised with or do you think think that we all kind of have that? I think we all kind of have it and it's just a case of of recognizing it and 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 questioning sometimes you know I worry a little bit about um you know some of the information that's given out today that oh you have to pay attention to this this is the way it is and we should we should question um you know, so many things that we're told that they were perfectly all right for us to do now is not perfectly all right to do, i.e. lead paint um, and, and, and climate change and, and everything else. But we just really, um, we have to, we, you know, we're all part of the whole universe. And mm-hmm. um, fortunately, I, I see at least... I, I, the one, people that are around me that are your age and younger, um, even the the twelve and thirteen, uh, twelve and fifteen year old, um, two girls that live across the street, they're aware of climate change and they're very uh, cognizant of um, of you know, what they eat and so forth. In fact, they're the ones that told their moms that they wanted to be vegetarians. And their mm-hmm. mother kind of said, what? And uh, they explained why and so forth. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, the generation that my mother was in, who just believed everything was, um, you know, good, um, even though, uh, you know, uh, I won't go into detail. I mean, you're, you you sort of have an idea that, um, I mean, her idea of, of, of perfumed um, things and so forth were perfectly all right, and, mm-hmm. and they pollute the air. And, mm-hmm. and you lose your sense of smell. Um, and, and, you know, that's all part of our our survival skills mm-hmm. is to be able to smell and to feel and to to be alive and that's why I like to garden and you know talk to the ants and the <laughs> <laughs> and the woodpeckers <laughs> so uh, but but it's the same with uh you know color and 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 when i when I garden, I, I look at what Mother Nature does sometimes, and I'm just astounded at how she combines color. And it's mm. uh, and it helps me when I'm knitting my hats. I think, oh, I remember the way that peony looked. Hmm, I'm going to try that. And uh, so there's, I just hope I can, you know, when I'm 90, I can still be doing this. <laughs> I'm 84 and you'll be and I'm nine, doing yeah. You'll be 90 in six years. Mhm, mhm. Do you ever have you ever, or I guess did you ever think you'd be able to say that? I guess I did because um, there's longevity in the family, and so uh, when the time comes, we'll see. It it just gives me joy just to be able to 
go out and move a bag of leaves like I did this morning so that the um, where I was putting it would brace up an area. And, uh, you know, tomorrow I will empty the water buckets that I collect water off the roof from in order to water my plants so that I'm not using the city water. And so just, just as long as I can do it, I'm, I'm grateful. And um, I, I, I don't have any particular one organized, you know, religion. I, I'm, I sort of respect the fact that there's a force greater than I am. Um, but, and I respect that, and that's how I, each day I, I give thanks that I can get up in the morning and do mischief. Next time on 413 Ethnography, I sit down with local business owner Harry Duffy of Duffy's Front End Service on Bridge Street, specializing in vehicle alignment. I hope you can join us.